The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and get a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, September 15th, 2014. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Meet the press. Mr. Chuck Todd has settled into the host seat. He's doing a lovely job. By the way, I never loathed David Gregory. I mean, Sherry had his shortcomings, but not in a way all that distinct from the way that everyone else who hosts a network news show had their shortcomings. But there was this anti-Gregory drumbeat, so he's out. And then they announced, or he announced, that he's leaving and who will be writing a book about his faith, to which everyone, or most parts of America who cared at all, said, oh, great, another book about Christianity. But no, wait, David Gregory is Jewish. He is a Jew. Who knew? I'll tell you who knew. Most other Jews and also the neo-Nazis. I've come across this phenomenon before. The two most informed groups about who's a Jew are the Jews and the people who most hate the Jews. Like I was looking up Jewish NBA owners and you get all these celebratory pages where Hava Nagila launches automatically in MIDI form in the background. And you also get Stormfront, the clan affiliated site. Oh, well. But it is the Chuck Todd era, Chuck Todd, also Jewish, there on Meet the Press. And here he was on Sunday talking to Dennis McDonough, the White House Chief of Staff. Todd is trying to nail down McDonough on the combat troops question as regards ISIS in Syria. And we're going to play a little talk show karaoke where I answer the question the way I wish it had been answered. Here's the question. Can you pledge for sure that there will never be American combat troops on the ground in Syria? And so here's what I will say. Well, I cannot make that pledge based on a few words. Those words are pledge, for sure, and never. Let's take the last one first. The president, this president, will serve for two more years. When he goes, I go, and his policy decrees go. We think the next president and the president after that will still be fighting a version of these same enemies. Now for the for sure part. Aside from the fact that the future is unknowable, I could think of so many developments that would change this answer. Maybe the airstrikes will work, maybe they won't. Maybe the eradication of ISIS will lead to Bashir al-Assad rolling over the opposition. Maybe it will lead to non-ISIS opposition rolling over Bashir al-Assad. Maybe one day there'll be a new Western-oriented government who asks us to intervene. Maybe Congress will start to call for ground forces. Maybe the military will start to call for ground forces. Maybe the public will favor ground forces. That goes for the for sure. As for pledge, look, this isn't a 14-year-old girl promising her church group not to pet over the sweater, Chuck. When we pledge in a military context, what we're doing is cutting off options and giving away information. Enemy spies should have to die if they want to more than guess our intentions. I'm not going to give it away for free here. Sometimes people in my position get accused of evading the question. Here, I think I should be credited when I say proudly, I'm not answering. What McDonough did say wasn't terrible, however. We will take the fight to our uh, enemies without putting our ground troops on, uh, without putting ground troops uh, into the effort. We need ground troops. That's why we want this uh, program to train the opposition mm. that's currently pending in Congress. And that's why we want to make sure that this coalition brings Sunnis to the fight. On today's show, we'll return to the president and international relations in the spiel and the shock and awe of Storm Large. She can belt a song like nobody's business. But first, Scotland may be going independent. We'll talk to a Scottish man on the street. He's actually in his home and on a phone, but he's still a Scottish man.
the queen, the queen, you know her from currency and God save the, has weighed in on the Scottish independence vote. Well, kind of just barely. She said, quote, people should think very carefully about the future. Okay. Somehow this overshadowed David Beckham's endorsement of unity and Prime Minister David Cameron's warning that there will be no coming back from an independence vote. But the vote for independence, which will occur this Thursday, is basically a dead heat right now in the polls. For months, it seemed as if Scots would defeat the referendum. But now Scottish patriotism, the belief that their interests are not being reflected in Westminster, and the idea that they could start a Scandinavian-style oil-infused democracy, all those ideas have come on strong. A few months ago, the gist spoke with a Scotsman, just a regular Scotsman, actually, a very nice and well-spoken Scotsman. Doesn't make sense to talk to a jerk of a Scotsman, right? So we're speaking with Craig McAllister. He is from Kilwenning, Scotland. Hello, Craig. Hello, how are you doing? And Craig, when we talked to you earlier, episode 16 of The Gist, we're closing in on 100 now, you said friends of yours were a little bit cautious in even bringing this subject up, but now is this independence vote all anyone is talking about? Um, well, as in certain circles, and it's definitely not in other circles, it's really interesting. It's really, really, really engaged the population. If you're a fan of social media, Facebook, Twitter, it's all over it like a rash. You can't escape it. If you put on the television, it's all over it like a rash. You really you can't escape it. It's great. It's really engaged people who uh, to talk about politics who may otherwise never have been interested. It's also um, created a whole um, generation of people who think they're experts on such a subject and perhaps aren't. But, you know, the, the fact that um, so many people are talking about it is a good thing. Amongst my friends, we talk about it quite freely and quite openly. Some of us are yes voters. Some of us are no voters. Um, there's certain places it's a big no-no to talk about. My workplace, for example, um, I've been dying to start a conversation with the staff at work that you, you just don't because um, people fall out, people fall out uh, badly over it and it can cause problems. We had a discussion today, believe it or not, for the very first time and it ended with teachers, teachers shouting at one another while the lunchtime bell rang. <laughs> so if the teachers are at each other's throats, how do you deal with it with the students? I mean, that's part of teaching, right? Leading the discussions? Not an unwritten as such. There's a sort of soft policy that we can't talk about it in school. You're a yes vote, you, yeah. meaning you want independence? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I remember talking to you last time, and there were a lot of uncertainties to but your thinking. There are still lots of uncertainties, okay, but when it comes down to it, it's a wee bit like um, the old pub argument, glass half full, glass half empty. And I'm very much, I've always been a glass half full person, and I think it's just time to take initiative, take things by the scuff of a neck, and make a huge leap of faith and go for it. Now, when David Cameron says there's no turning back, do you, do most Scotsmen say, well, the worst that can happen is we can always join? I don't know. David Cameron, who doesn't get a vote, David Cameron, who didn't give two hoots about Scotland until last week, he can say what he likes, but people can see through people like that. When I talked to you four months ago, were you optimistic that independence would pass, or have you become more optimistic since then? I am optimistic, but I'm also, it's, it's very scary, it's like waiting for the exam results, um, and there's nothing you can do about it. The, the vote seems to have swung back in favour of the No campaign recently, over the past few days, and I think that's maybe a result of the Yes campaign pulling ahead last weekend, when you're undecided people sort of panicked a little bit mm -hmm. and thought, oh, do you know what, I'm going to have to vote no. I don't like change. I don't want change. I'm actually quite happy with the status quo just now. 
Um, so the nose boat seems to have swung slightly in favour just now, but it's so neck and neck, it's impossible to call. Has there been one fact, statistic, Facebook meme that you think has convinced more people than others? The feeling from the Yes campaign is that you're voting for democracy. You're not voting for some sort of uh, outdated version of what the United Kingdom was. You know, this magic industrial empire. It's crumbling, you know, we're, we're a laughing stock. We don't matter in the world anymore. All these people down in Westminster seem to think we're still at a world power. And Scotland, if it goes alone, could so easily be one of the most profitable, rich, happy, vibrant little countries to live in in the world. And who wouldn't want to vote for that? So I have never lived through a Scottish election. I've lived through many American elections. And at the end of a hard-fought election, it's almost never the case where the citizenry, where both sides will say, well, that was good and well fought. Well, a lot of good ideas were exchanged. But would you say at the end of this, the entire process, was it edifying? Was it clarifying? Or did it cause too many divisions and was characterized by too much misinformation? What's really, really concerning, actually, for Scotland as a society is that we're going to maybe live through a few months, years maybe even, of people hating one another, the yes voters and the no voters, and it might actually end up, without being too dramatic about it, it could end up taking place of the, the Catholic-Protestant sectarian division that we have. So this has caused a lot of divisions? Absolutely, yeah. Has it been good to it? Has it been clarifying, no matter how the vote goes? Um, there's going to be half the country, because it is very much 50-50 just now. Half the country is going to be really, really disappointed and depressed and upset about it. But we have to go on with it from then. If everybody voted no, and I was the only one that voted yes, I'd accept that. Mm-hmm. If everybody voted yes and five folk voted no, they would have to accept that, but it's not. It's a very, very close call thing. Craig McAllister is from Kilwenning, Scotland. He blogs at Planer Pan. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. You know, these days you could do practically anything you want on demand. Like there's an app for pizza. You press pizza, they deliver a pizza. Where's he going with this? Is it time? Is it finally going to happen? Oh, yeah. What I'm talking about is going to the post office, dealing with their limited hours, when you could get postage on demand with Stamps.com. Anything you could do at the post office, you could do now right from your desk with Stamps.com. You know, so many of us have things they'd like to sell, and we know of these sites on the web where it's really easy to sell things. I'm just casting about my own apartment now, looking at things that I'd maybe like to sell. My limited edition signed Herbie Hancock album cover. The only thing stopping me from doing this is, yeah, you sell it, someone wants to buy it, but then you got to go to the post office. No, no, Stamps.com takes this all away from you. You don't have to show up anywhere on time. They even give you this scale. If you use my promo code, the gist for a special offer, here's what you get. A no-risk trial, that's good. A $110 bonus offer. It includes that scale I talk about. The scale just plugs in with a USB port on your computer. Couldn't work any better. And then you print the stamps from your printer. It's all there. And this deal with the gist will give you $55 worth of free postage. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone on the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's how you get the best offer. That's how they know that you came from the gist. So they credit us and we credit you when we say stamps.com and enter the gist.
Large has done it all. She's a singer. We're listening right now to her new album. This is the song N.I.B. She sings with Pink Martini. She was on that kind of interesting reality show called uh, Rockstar Supernova. And she's here with me now. Hello, Storm. Hi, how are you? I'm well. So... There is a rumor, and it's on Wikipedia, but I think you cop to it, that Storm Large is your name, or at least two-thirds of your name. It is two-thirds of my real name. And the first name is Susan? Yes. So, so then you're a superheroine. Oh, well, Sue Storm. Sue Storm or, she was in or Fantastic Storm. Four. Yes, she was yes. in Fantastic Four. Do you feel your then... journey has taken you from Fantastic Girl to Fantastic Woman? <laughs> <laughs> I've gone, I think, from uh, Angry Girl to Mediocre Cougar to Fantastic Woman, maybe. <laughs> I like the Mediocre Cougar. That could be <laughs> that could be your new background band. The new background <laughs> oh, band. Don't the even get us started on Cougars. all the band names that we've come <laughs> through. I'm not going to go there. So... When I mentioned the reality show, the rock star supernova thing, I saw an expression, uh, almost a cringe. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, on me? Yes. No, it's funny. I just, uh, some photograph came up from that period in my life, and it was eight years or nine years ago. I don't recommend reality TV to everyone because it isn't as fun as you would think, but it was really a wonderful experience. But it also seems like your personality was cer- they needed you as much as you needed them in your personality. Absolutely. They hired me based on a video that a fan sent to their casting. And in the video I was performing with my old band The Balls, which was more of a punk rock band, and they told me the video that they saw was I'm in the middle of a song and someone starts talking on a cell phone in the audience. I get in a fight with them, and I take their <laughs> phone, and I make this big thing about it, and I steal their phone, and I look kind of like a drunk maniac, like a menace. And so they thought, oh, yeah, she'll yeah. be perfect. But then I show up, and I'm professional, and I'm nice to everybody, and it was very boring Well, that, them. But that's exactly what you need, like, in the real world of rock and roll, right? If you actually live up to your image, you're screwed, and you can't be a professional. But, I mean, this is kind of the difference between... The Rolling Stones image, right? right? These guys are such unbelievable professionals, and they make every cue, and then a band that, you know, flames out and is thought of fondly but only had two records because they couldn't get their shit together. Well, that's the thing. There's a lot of mystery and romance attached to being in a rock band. It's like, oh, you got to party every night. You got to have a different man in every town. You know, wow, you get to wake up and vomit and sleep until like five in the afternoon to start all over again. It's like, how the, how the fuck would anyone get any work done? You know, and some people do do that and they want to get into music and get into a creative line of work because they think it will create a partying lifestyle. But the partying lifestyle is something really you need to avoid if you want to continue to work. I'm old as hell, and I've been working steadily for 25 years. At that point in your life, did you think your future definitely was in the world of rock? Had you branched out to some of the other genres that you're owning these days? No. The show was about being a rocker. Yeah, yeah. So I was playing a role in that, but I've started out as a punk rocker as you know loving bad brains and minor threat agent orange i thought henry rollins was my illegitimate father and so i felt these things but my voice betrayed a different path for me punk rockers were like yeah you sing kind of pretty yeah you know you hit the notes correctly yeah and i i could scream and i could do all that stuff but i it just really wasn't in my wheelhouse to be like grubby sounding on stage or really like Mm -hmm. angry rat-a-tat lyrics like The Clash and, you know, those guys. 
I mean, there are some great hard-rocking women, you know, and uh, Cherry Bomb and Joan Jett and Lita Ford and, of course, all the Riot Girls. And I just think the prettiness of the voice is antithetical to punk rock. And that's kind of a sexist thing, in a way, if they don't let the girls in unless they try to pretend to be gravelly. Not necessarily. I think feminism is also responsible for reclaiming an identity that is not typically feminine like I had a lot of feminists that don't like me because I have boobs and I have blonde hair and I'm pretty and and I use my sexual appeal as sort of a commercial aspect to my business first of all if they are offended by the blonde hair wait a week (laughs) (laughs) well it is a little more salmon colored today it's it's, I was thinking tangerine I think you've been every (laughs) hair color you know this is radio or podcast so it's fake radio you know, if you walk into the room, you are six feet tall, you are a striking woman. Like, for you not to own that in the world, especially the world of rock and roll, which is so much about image, would be a stupid choice, actually. And it would be phony. It yeah, would yeah, be yeah. exactly what people accuse me of being when they're accusing me of trying too hard to be attractive or whatever. I got in a big fight with these chicks one time about I have fake boobs. I bought boobs and made myself go through puberty again with my hands on the wheel this time. <laughs> and I was very excited about my boobs and I still love them and I don't regret it. And these girls were kind of in my face saying, How could you defile your body? How could you do that? It's disgraceful. You're trying to fit into some kind of a conformed idea of what a woman's supposed to look like. And I'm looking at these girls and they have piercings all over the place, tattoos all over the place. And I'm like, so you scratched out of your mom's vagina like that? You did? You look like a tackle box. Come on. (laughs) Well, I asked my friend Ari Shapiro, NPR's Ari Shapiro, who sings with Pink Martini. He's like this unbelievably talented guy. This is what he said to ask you. He said a bunch of things, which were good. Okay, ask uh, Storm about this. Her version of sexuality is kind of the opposite of the Playboy centerfold or Miley Cyrus or the objectification of women. She owns her sexuality in a way I rarely see women do. Okay, so that's not a question. It's my job to come oh, up with the question. That's do you, nice. Do you agree with that? I guess so. I don't really, no one's ever asked me to necessarily describe my sexuality because it just kind of is what it is. It's kind of like describing a flame, you know, it's everybody has a different way of expressing it and existing in it. Yeah, I just try not to be judgmental of however I'm feeling. I tend to describe it as sexually omnivorous. If it tastes good, I'll eat it Yeah, kind of thing. And so what about a Miley Cyrus type, someone who is definitely, well, you just, I mean, you mentioned that you use how you look and your sexuality for marketing. She's clearly doing that. Well, that's... She's playing with fire, speaking of fire. I think Miley Cyrus, though, I mean, I'm so annoyed with the whole Disney factory in that sense that they take these girls who are obviously going to blossom into beautiful women, but you're telling her what to say, how to dress, what her name's supposed to be, how she's supposed to behave, and then once she breaks out of that... She probably would not be this nuts had she just been sort of born in Arkansas and kind of started a punk band and wanted to be a musician. She'd probably just be a very attractive kind of punk rock musician right now. Right. You're so right. If they could scientifically create a rebellion factory, they couldn't do a better job than what Disney does. How many girls have gone completely off the rails from that situation? It's like, I mean, this is a very, very extreme uh, example, but... I used to have a fascination with mass murderers and serial killers and stuff like that. It was a very punk rock thing to get into. Mm-hmm. I was not so morbidly curious. I was just curious as to see what are the signs of someone who was going to go that way. I would say eight times out of ten, the guy responsible was horrifically repressed, 
horrifically repressed by his mother, by religion, by society, by, by just some kind of really strict, notice how my hands are, <laughs> this really strict constricting circumstance from his entire life. And then just it, that's when perversion kind of pops out of your neck when you don't feel safe to explore something that is naturally inherently part of every human life. We're speaking with Storm Large. She is alleging that Miley Cyrus has bodies buried in her basement. I think I'm getting you right. Storm Large has a new album out. I think we're going to hear a song from it coming out. Storm, thank you so much. Thank it was great you to so talk much. to you. Great talk to you. If you go away on the summer's day, then you might as well take the sun away. If you want to see this force of nature performing, really taking over Slate's offices in a way that the Slate workers didn't know would happen, but of course was arresting, go to slate.com slash the gist. And now the spiel. Came across this interesting article in the New York Times is about how President Obama met with learned men and presumably women who knew a lot about foreign policy in advance of his decision on ISIS. And uh, there was a lot of off-the-record quotes. A couple guys like uh, Richard Haas were on the record, but here was the passage. If he had been, quote, an advisor to ISIS, Mr. Obama added, he would not have killed the hostages, but released them and pinned notes to their chest saying, stay out of here. This is none of your business. Wow. Got me to thinking. In fact, to riffing. And another thing, if I were advising ISIS, the beheadings, no need for that. Perhaps a strongly worded note in your enemy's take-home folder. Gets the point across, beheadings, very impolite. Now, if I were Vladimir Putin, I wouldn't invade Ukraine. Nope. Instead of rolling tanks through communities, I'd organize the communities. Also, ask for small donations from individual donors. Now, if I were heading a Brazilian prison gang, for instance, Primero Commando da Capital, I could rule through viciousness, fear, and intimidation. I could. But I would not. I'd defer to due process. But if, for instance, a rival gang tried to horn in on our turf, I would not arrange for a revenge killing to send a message. Though I could. I would not. I'd issue demerits, also incorporate a wall chart, clearly visible to all. Now, if I were an Arctic wolf, I would not eat a caribou. I would let the caribou know I could eat it, yes, but I would seek alternative protein sources, especially as the tundra thawed for spring. Might invite the caribou to a beer summit. Caribou doesn't drink beer. That's fine. We'd eat lichen. If I were a bachelor on The Bachelorette, I would not try to sleep with The Bachelorette. Instead, I would serenade her. Maybe Al Green or Al Jarreau, one of the owls. That's what I'd do. If I were hosting the Slate Daily Podcast, The Gist... I would not do an extended segment, 
mocking an off-the-cuff statement reported by a third party. I would acknowledge the underlying fact is it shows I'm a strategic thinker, that I can put myself in the place of my enemies. And yes, I understand that it is a rich comedic environment. Sasha and Malia might laugh. But I would also know that the host of The Gist does not do a good me impression. And that would prevent me from engaging in this comedy. I am not against all comedy, just mediocre comedy. This has been If I Were an Advisor to ISIS. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi produces this podcast. If she were in charge of Apple, she'd work on smell technology for the iPhone. If she advised Google, there'd be Google smell. That would be a thing. Andy Bowers is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. But if he were a character on an episode of Three's Company, he'd be the guy patiently explaining the varied layers of misunderstanding that caused the Ropers to mistake Chrissy's wart for a baby. You can listen on SoundCloud or go to iTunes. Also, we're on Yo. You get the app. You subscribe to podcast, and when we're ready to go, we'll yo. Slate.com slash gist email is where you go to sign up for our daily email with links to the show right from the email. Facebook.com slash slate gist is our Facebook page, and our Twitter feed is slate gist. And you can email the gist at slate.com. If I were an advisor to the world's strongest man competition, I'd add one more category, and that's the ability to balance life and family because that's the real test of strength and manliness. You know, in these trouble... Wait, what's that? You mean they drag a plane? They they actually drag a plane? All right, forget that. We're going with that as the test of strength. Alan Alda over there contemplating lactation issues. We got a guy pulling a freaking airplane. I'm going with that guy. Thanks for listening.